Thank you. You may be seated. This morning I will be sharing about how God has proved himself in my life that he is a rewarder of those who seek him through prayer and fasting. But as part of the sermon, we're going to actually distribute the communion. Um, If you could just hold the cup and the bread and wait and we'll take it all together soon. In Pastor Don's first sermon in this series on prayer and fasting, he shared with us that prayer is about relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's the bottom line, it's the foundation stone, that's what it's all about. Prayer is a response to God's love through Jesus that he sent. Thank you. And Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer to say, Our Father, who art in heaven. He modelled the father-son, father-daughter relationship to each one of us through his life. In John 1 verse 12 and 13 it says, To all who receive him, Jesus that is, even to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. He's paid the price. He's done it all. All he's asking, all God's asking us to do is to receive Jesus. Or, if we struggle with that, even believing in his name that he is the Son of God is enough for God's power to come into us and give us the right to be children of God. I mean, when you think about it, that is awesome. It's awesome. Romans 8 verse 15 to 17 says, And that's if you have received Jesus, it goes, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. So when you feel afraid, think, no, if if you've received Jesus, I don't have a spirit of fear, even though my body tells me I do. I have a spirit, the spirit of God in me. But we have received the spirit of sonship or daughtership. And by him, by the spirit of God in us, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I received Jesus and was born again about 44 years ago. Yet 20 years ago, I was talking to God one morning and being honest about where I was at. I told him how I knew in my head that he loved me and that he was a good father. I knew that from his word but I was struggling to believe it in my heart. And the Bible says that we believe in our heart unto righteousness. So as I knew it here, but I couldn't quite get it into my heart. And so I said that to God. I'm, I just really can't, I really can't believe that you love me. I know you do, but I can't quite believe it. And I was waiting after I said that to the Lord, waiting with my eyes closed, and I saw a movie as clear as anything in my with my eyes closed. And in it, I was about four years old. And I w- my dad was sitting in the room, sitting in a chair at the end of the room. And I ran up to him to get a cuddle. And as I was running towards him, he got up, turned his back and walked away. And that played out about four times in the movie. Every time I got near him, he turned around and walked away. And I heard my heavenly father gently say to me, 
This is why you find it hard to believe I love you. Now, my dad was a great father. I'm not saying he wasn't. He was a great father in so many ways. But as God showed me this, I realized this was the reason I struggled. I was unable to connect emotionally and physically with my dad. And that had affected my ability to believe that God wanted to connect with me emotionally and that he cared about the me inside not just providing for me, not just looking after me on the outside, but actually caring about who I was, what I thought, my feelings. Because I'd never had that. And, um, and just God doing that, it set me free. The Bible says that the truth will set us free. That um, truth brings understanding and that brings freedom from those things. Has everyone been served? Or just about, sorry. In John 6, verse 53 to 58, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That's a bold statement. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. He's not talking about what you're holding. That's a symbol of his body being broken on the cross and his blood being shed for us. And then he goes on to say, Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Jesus' words to us that as we feed on him, and I often think that's, he's the living word. If I take his word and his truth, like I did in that situation, the living word was that God loves us, cares about us, wants to be our father, but I couldn't get it from here to there. But as I received that word, as I let it come in, as I prayed and talked to God about it, as I um, took hold of that word and made it part of me, I fed on it, and that's what Jesus is talking about, feeding on that word, letting it come in and make, be real to us. Then we live because of it, and God can, comes through and touches us and ministers to us. If everyone's been great, you've got communion. Just as you're holding the cup and the bread there, just encourage you again to receive Jesus. Every day, it's... We can live off yesterday, but you need to be fresh today. And just saying, Lord, you know, I do. I receive you afresh today. I receive your word, what you teach me, what you want to say to me. He's the living word. It's not the law. He's the living word, the word that speaks to who we are. Just receive you afresh, Jesus, today. I thank you. You're the lover of my soul. Of every soul in this room, you're the lover of our souls. And you are able to save us. And you are able to present us faultless before the Father. You understand our weaknesses. You understand what we struggle with. And yet you are able to present us faultless before the Father. We're so grateful, Jesus, for who you are, what you're able to do in our lives. Help us hold on to who you are. Help us believe what you say about us. And that in you we have 
a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we thank you so much for that, Jesus. Just in your own time, partake of the bread and the cup. And when you've finished us, just hand your cups along to the end of the rows and the ushers will collect them. And I also want you to just take a minute now to pray for the person next to you that they will be blessed knowing the, God's, the Father heart of God towards them. Just a simple prayer for each other, a person next to you. Father, we thank you that uh, you want to be our Father so much more than we probably realise. And we do ask that you'd help each one of us understand that, grow in understanding, grow in intimacy with you, and allow you to be our Heavenly Father. Facets of you that we've never tasted in this earth before, that you want us to partake of just in our relationship with you. And we Thank you for that. Open our eyes and open our understanding to pursue you, Father, and allow you to meet with us as you want to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. I've been so encouraged over the years in the way that God has honoured and responded to my efforts of prayer and fasting. I first started fasting a day a week about 35 years ago. I was motivated by the verses from Isaiah 58, verses 6 to 10. It's God's message to his people. They were fasting, and he was saying to them basically, well, it's not just about going without food and looking sad and being like that. He said, this is what my chosen fast is. And we'll read these verses here. God's saying to them, Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke and to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. That's what he wants to do as we're fasting. We're fasting these, some of us are fasting these weeks. That's his heart. That's what he wants to do. That's what he wants us to be motivated in as we fast. To share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe him and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will shine forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. What a reward for fasting the way God wants us to. The first miracle God did in response to my praying and fasting was about 33 years ago. On my fast day, my mum turned unexpectedly up at the door. 
She came over to share with me that my older sister was on life support and had overdosed. The medical team had told the family that she would not survive and that they were turning off the machines the next day. And my parents were already arranging her funeral. When mum left, I sat in shock. I didn't know what to say, I didn't know what to do. But one prayer came out, and I really believe it was it's God's heart and inspired by his spirit, and I prayed only one prayer. And it was, please God, don't let her die if she's going to hell. I didn't pray anything else. I didn't even know how to pray. I couldn't pray anymore. But the next day they turned the machine off and she survived and slowly recovered. She went on to live a further 31 years. And during that time I was privileged to support her as she chose to believe in Jesus. And now she's with her heavenly father in heaven. And God's response to my prayer showed me that he really means it when he says that he wants all men to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth. One prayer, plus I was fasting, was enough to turn God's hand because that's what God wants to do. When my boys were at kindy and then primary school, I met weekly with my friend who had children the same age. We both wanted to see God work in the school and the kindy, so we determined to pray together for one hour a week. We didn't talk for that hour. We prayed. That's pretty good for two women. We cared about our children's education and we recognised that there were influences in the school that our children would have to face. That's what motivated us to pray. And when you start to pray like this, God gives you and shares his heart with you. And we began to get such a heart for the staff and the school and the other families and the children. And we soon found it easy to fill that hour. But to start with, it was hard work. But God honoured it. While our children were at primary school, we both started teaching Bible in school there. They only to the senior classes. There were four classes and they were taught Bible at that stage. One year when I went to inquire with the principal if we could start or when we could start Bible in school that year, he just bluntly said, I don't want Bible school taught anymore. And that was it. Shut down just like that. They didn't have boards of trustees in those days. But we continued to pray regularly, undeterred by the setback, knowing that God answers prayer. A month later, I was at a public school meeting. It had nothing to do with Bible and school. It was just a public school meeting that the principal was sharing at, and I went along to it. I sat in the chair, and the spiritual battle that was going on was Amazing. I was not prepared for it. I was sitting in the chair and I wanted to run. I wanted to run out of that room. Everything in me wanted to leave. I sat there glued to the chair. I didn't remember what they were saying. I wasn't listening to what they were saying. I was just praying silently in tongues. I thought, what is going on here, Lord? I didn't have a clue. I didn't understand it. Anyway, later during the supper, I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to go and thank the principal 
for all the work he did in the school. And I appreciate him and, and just really honour him, him and his position. And he thanked me and then he, turned, he looked at me in the eye and he said, by the way, you can start Bible in school as soon as you're next term and you can do the whole school. So we started that next term teaching 11 classes. And I've learned over years, over the years, that often before deliverance or before breakthrough, we face the greatest battle. And if things are getting tougher and tougher in your life, don't give up because you're often that's just before the breakthrough. Because the enemy does not want you to break through. And he's trying to get you to give up. He's trying to get you to pull out. See, God had a plan for that school. But I believe he needed us to pray and respond to his leading to see that plan fulfilled. If we hadn't done that, I know it wouldn't have happened. God needs us to pray. And I've heard people say, oh, but he can do it himself if he wants to. But the Bible shows us that he doesn't. That's not the way he works. He needs people on earth praying and doing and being obedient so his plans can be fulfilled. Why else would he have said, I've prepared good works for each one of us to fulfill? If he didn't need us, he needs us. He needs us to fulfill what he's prepared for us to do. Moses, for example, stood in the gap for the children of Israel and pleaded for God's mercy. And God heard him and changed his mind. Elijah persistently prayed until God sent rain to break the drought. There are so many examples of people asking God for help and believing for him to help and him responding. If Prue, if you could just come up, that would be great. Why should we care about our schools? The other children and the families. Why should we care about our workmates or our community? I've asked Prue to share about a conversation she had several weeks ago and for me, it showed so clearly why we should care. Morning, church. Um, Penny asked me um, to share with you guys a conversation I had at school. We were at a um, picnic, and I was just talking to one of um, the um, my boy Ezra, one of his classmates' mother. And anyway, we were just chatting about our um, Christmas break and what we'd got up to, and and I just shared that um, we ended up back in Hamilton because we had a funeral granny, which was Penny's mother. She um, passed away, so we headed back to Hamilton for the funeral. And anyway, while I was telling her that, she just said to me, um, oh, tell me, how has Ezra coped with that? And I just said, oh, fine, you know, and no problems. And so she began to share to me um, about a funeral that they had been to because her grandmother had died, and this boy of hers just did not cope and wasn't coping with it at all. He, um, he was having nightmares at night and he's just so fearful and, and um, crying all the time. And this went on for quite a while and, and she just said to me, it's horrible, I, I don't know what to do. And, and I, I, um, it was such a lovely opportunity actually for me to be able to share my faith and um, how I speak to my children and then the hope that I can give them about where we go. And um, it's just it was just really beautiful that I could do that. And she just, her response to that was, oh, that's what I need. So it was, it was just lovely. But 
that um, we have hope when we can talk to our, choos- our children. And I'm, I just was realised how thankful um, I was to be able to do that for my children. So, yeah, it was, it was a great opportunity. Awesome. Thank you, Pro. Awesome. Yeah. The mum and the child, desperate for hope. And we have the hope in Jesus to share with people. Our community needs to hear about Jesus. We don't realise how much they're struggling. And again, as God says, he wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth that Jesus, he's given Jesus so that we can have a relationship with him, we can have peace, we can know him, we can have that fear taken away, that fear of death gone. We pray for difficult situations in our lives and we want them to be solved, don't we? Oh, yes. <laughs> we want them to be fixed. So does God. And when they're not answered immediately, it's often because he needs us to go through the trial. Oh, that seems a bit mean. But doesn't, don't we do that to our kids? Well, you should want to do it to your kids because that's how they learn and that's how we learn. Teacher, God wants often to teach and train us as we go through it so that hopefully we change in the process and we get to know his ways and who he is and then he gives us the breakthrough. In Psalm 23, Jesus said, uh, sorry, it says that Jesus the shepherd feeds us in the presence of, his en- of our enemies. And I used to think, what? If Jesus was there, wouldn't the enemies go? You'd think, in the presence of Jesus, all the enemies would go. They'd just fall down or run. But no, it says he feeds us in the presence of our enemies. And there are times when he allows those things to stay. And because he's trying to teach us through it, or, or we're in a battle, like I was with the school. And even though we carry Jesus with us and we go into situations, it doesn't mean that the enemy will flee. But the key to that is he says he feeds us. He feeds us. He'll give you quickened words. He'll give you, um, he'll speak to you. And you've got to take those, hold on to them and eat them. Chew them, make them part of you, and that'll give you strength in the battle to win the battle, to get through to the other side. I remember clearly about 20 years ago, God showing me in dreams that I had wrong heart attitudes. I mean, you don't know often they're there until God shines the light, and you think, oh, oh I'm so proud. Each time He showed me, I would ask for forgiveness. And I'd be good for a few months. And then he would show me again that I'd picked up that habit and I was doing it again. This repeated over and over during the next 18 months. Till I was so frustrated with myself that I said, Okay, God, I'm going to do a Daniel fast till you set me free. I put my foot down and we've got Isaiah 58 up there. Because I said to him, I believe your word 
that if I fast, you will untie the cords of these yokes, that you will free me from this oppression, and you have promised to break every yoke. And so I took him at his word. I said, that's it, I'm going to fast till you do it. Now, a Daniel fast, I don't know if you know, but understand, but it's no delicacies. Like I have breakfast, I have lunch, I have tea. Most people would not know I'm fasting. But I have no biscuits, no cakes, no chocolate, no puddings, no treats that you might call treats. Really healthy food, uh, mainly vegetables and fruit, but I also ate protein and eggs for iron and um, strength, give me strength, because I didn't know how long God was going to do it for. So I said, that's it, God. Now, most people probably thought that I was on a super healthy diet, which I was, but I wasn't also, because I was doing it in faith. I was saying to God, this is between you and me, you know what this is about, and I'm doing it believing you're going to break this in my life. It was combined with faith, so it wasn't just a super healthy diet. Now Daniel fasted, eating fruit and veggies and drinking water, and he did this for 21 days until God answered his prayer, if you read that in Daniel. And when the angel came to Daniel with the answer, he told him how God had sent the answer the day he prayed the prayer. Wow. The day he asked. So the day I asked, probably God sent the answer too. God's like that. That's how much he cares. That's how much he wants to get to help us to answer our prayers. But it took 21 days, and the angel said the reason was that in the heavenlies there was a battle. The enemy would not let him through. He fought to stop that answer coming through, and it took 21 days for the battle to be won and for the angel to come through with the answer. What if Daniel gave up waiting on God for that answer? I believe he would have missed it. Because God needed him to persevere in prayer and fasting to receive that answer. God needs us on earth holding on in faith so that God can bring through the answer he wants to our prayers. So I did the Daniel fast for a month. Then God answered me one early one morning with a dream. I was about four years old in the dream. And I was sitting on the floor with other children and... In front of us was a big whiteboard and adults. My parents were standing there and other adults of influence in my life were standing there. And they had written on the whiteboard these types of words. Pride, selfish ambition and false humility, along with other words. But they were three of the words that I was fasting for, asking God to take them out of my heart. So, where am I up to here? When I um, woke from that dream, I knew God was speaking to me. I knew it was the answer. So I asked him what it meant. And I was overwhelmed by a sense of compassion that he had towards me. Just amazing, amazing compassion. And he said to me very gently, he said, this is why you found it so hard to break these habits. Because you wanted to please your parents, you wanted to please those in authority, and you took on their values, which weren't my values, God was saying, 
and the foundation, the deep down in your found, the foundation stones in your life, and that's why it's been so hard to break them. See, Jesus is stronger than anything robbing us of the abundant life that He has for us. But there's a battle for our freedom. And he wants to answer your prayers, but sometimes it'll take a month. Sometimes it'll take a week. But I love it that just the Daniel fast, God honours it. I don't have to do a full fast because when I'm working, I can't do it. You've got to be able to keep working. But God honours the Daniel fast. Just a few inspirational keys to prayer I've got here. In Hebrews 5, verse 7 to 9, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. He wasn't heard because of his loud cries and tears. That's not what it says. He was heard because of his reverent submission. So it's worth having a look at what reverent submission might mean. And it's a deep respect for God's perspective. It's an admission and acknowledgement of God's higher ways and deeper thoughts than ours. He sees the little things and how they connect to the big things. He sees the past, the present and the future and how they all tie together. Not only is his name to be revered, but his position and perspective to be revered as well. A reverent and submissive heart is going to do more than just obey. It's going to ask the Father for his will over our will. A reverent and submissive heart feels its own desires, and Jesus showed us that. He struggled with God's will. He wanted it taken away, but he chose God's will in the end. So God still wants us to be honest and real with who we are and what we're struggling with. But a reverent, submissive heart filters through our feelings and where we're at and willingly bows to the sovereign lordship of Jesus. When Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he showed us how to position our hearts during prayer. He said... Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Again, it's that same reverent respect of who God is. The beginning of the prayer shows us that while we approach him as a father boldly, but there still is a reverent submission, an attitude in our heart of reverence towards him and who he is and his name. And then Jesus prays in the next part of the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come. And again, it's that he's encouraging us to approach God reverently, choosing to bow our thoughts and our hearts to the Father's will. And one other key to prayer is in 1 Timothy 2 verse 8. It says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger and without disputing. And to me, that speaks of quietening our hearts and thoughts when we pray and allowing God's peace and love to rule in our hearts out of a right attitude, praying out of a right attitude. 
And then when we are in that space, I always find I'm more receptive to hear God's heart and how, because sometimes our gets in the way. I'm sure God understands. I know he does. If the musicians could come, that would be great. Thank you. One thing I've found really helpful in my prayer life, though, one other last thing, is the gift of tongues. You can read in Acts about how the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues. People around them heard what they were saying and they were astounded at what they were saying. They heard these men uh, talking in a languages and these people were listening were saying, but they're Galileans. They don't know our language and yet they're speaking of the wonders of God as they spoke in these tongues. So when they, the men had got, or in women, it would have been everyone that was waiting there got baptised in the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues. They were speaking languages they'd never learnt. I was baptised and received the gift of tongues many years ago and I find as I speak in tongues, I'm confident that I'm praying God's will. I'm speaking God's will. Who can tame the tongue, says James. But God, when we, when we allow him to give us the gift of tongues, our tongues are being handed over to the Holy Spirit to speak what he wants. So I'm confident that I'm praying God's will. And as I do, I often begin to understand what God's wanting me to pray or what the Holy Spirit wants me to pray. And so I then pray in English what I, the thoughts that come as I'm praying. In Luke 11, verse 11 to 13, it says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead? It's a father heart of God again. Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you ask God for his Holy Spirit, he will give it to you. And that gift of tongues to help you in your prayer life. If you could all stand together, that would be great. You have listened so well. Thank you. (laughs) Just want to pray together. And as I say to the kids when when we go to pray, I say, If you want the prayer, you say amen or yes. And instead of it being one prayer, it's a hundred prayers going up. Father, we're asking that you please reveal your heart to each one of us here today. Father, help us to allow your will to become our will. Help us to have your heart for the people in our community. Give us eyes to see, Father, the hurting, the pain, the fear that people are living in, that don't have hope, that don't know about Jesus. Motivate us to share with them your love, to share with them that Jesus is real and that they can know you too, Father. Help us allow Jesus, the living word, to break through and set us free so that we can fulfill those good works you have 
which is to touch our community, to touch our families, to touch people with your love, Father. Amen.